0: It is very good to be with you on this God's holy Sabbath day. And I'm sad that our week is coming to an end, but I've enjoyed my time here and uh, getting to know many of the students. And tonight's message really fits with some of the conversations I've been able to have this week with students. Um, I'm going to jump right into this because we have a lot to cover. We're going to go to the book of Luke. The 23rd chapter, and we're going to start at verse 34. Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 34. Verse 34 says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. Our message tonight is entitled, The Power of Letting Go. The importance of forgiveness. The importance of forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study a word. I pray once again, Lord, that you make me just a nail upon the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. But upon that nail, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us not leave here the way we came. Lord, no one needs to hear what I think. We need to hear a thus saith the Lord from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, let's go straight to Genesis. Genesis chapter 50, and I'm going to start at verse 15. This is one of my favorite Bible stories. It's the story of Joseph. You remember that Joseph was the um, second to the last son born, Um to Jacob and Jacob favored Joseph so much so that his brothers and sisters well his brothers uh, who had different mothers did not like him very much I want to show you that in some ways uh, this family in its dysfunction represents a lot of the families that we grew up in I'm gonna start off by saying that Joseph had lots of half-brothers. Same father, different mothers. Now, I I can't speak for everybody else, but that was my situation. Joseph grew up in a situation where his father tried to develop him and uh, to some extent ignored his brothers because Joseph's uh, mother was his father's favorite woman. This created in the family a a, a sense of, of animosity and tension that some of you have grown up in. See, tonight we're going into some of your houses. We're going to go into some of your upbringing. This is not going to be comfortable for some of you, but let's get into it right away because unless we deal with what we're dealing with tonight, your Christian walk will always be difficult. Let me just make it plain that if the trauma and the hurt you experienced growing up is not allowed to heal, if you don't figure out a way to do that, Satan will always have a lever to pull to bring you into the world back into behavior where you self medicate to try and calm the pain your upbringing brought you this is that story So angry are his brothers that when they are out in the field, their father sends Joseph uh, to bring them a message. And and when they see him coming, you all know the story, they were going to actually kill him. But I, I believe it was Judah who says, instead, we should sell him. And as the Ishmaelites' caravan is going along on the way to Egypt, they sell their own brother into slavery. I hope you follow this. I want you to imagine what it would have been like for Joseph on the back of the cart that carried him away can you imagine what it would have been like sitting standing probably chained walking behind the cart or being carried on the cart and hearing the laughter the Snickers of his brothers behind him as they laughed what good is your coat of many colors now They hated their brother. They envied their brother. And because of it, they were going to kill him, but they sold him into slavery. Joseph's life does not get easier. It only gets more difficult. From there, he lands in in Potiphar's house, who was actually a dignitary in Egypt, and he learns the culture of Egypt. But again, dysfunction in a family affects Joseph. This time, it's not the man who is going outside of the bounds of marriage the way God designed it? But this time, it's Potiphar's wife who comes after Joseph. And, and Joseph is such a, a well trained young man that when she comes for him, Joseph runs and leaves his coat. And she accuses him of the unthinkable a crime of sexual assault. Now Joseph is innocent, yet imprisoned. He goes from favored son to hated brother, to slave, to incarcerated. And in the prison, again, he's hit by dysfunction, he's allowed to rise to being a leader in the prison but when the, finally the time come and God sends two of Pharaoh's uh, servants to him the butler and the baker, he's able to tell them their dreams and the one who gets the good word forgets about him and Joseph has to sit in prison for two more years waiting for God to deliver him. But I want to submit something to you. In none of this does Joseph grow bitter. In none of his hardship does Joseph grow angry. In none of it does Joseph lose his uh, relationship with God. Instead, at every stage, Joseph delights in the Lord. So much so that as you know the story goes, Joseph eventually becomes second in command in Egypt, saves Egypt from a famine after telling Pharaoh his dream, And it is his own brothers who must journey to Egypt where they find that Joseph is the one in control of everything. Can you imagine that shock? When they found out, I wish I had time to get into that part of the story. But I want to fast forward all the way to the time when their father dies. I'm going to start this message with the death of a father. And I'm going to end this message with the death of a father. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse, verse, chapter 50 and verse 15, it says, and when Joseph's brothers, brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requit us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, thy father did command before he died, saying, now, before I read what they tell him, I want you to understand that all those years had passed and the brothers had not dealt with what they had done to Joseph. They thought that Jacob was the stopgap keeping them from Joseph retaliating and getting his revenge. Which tells you they never they were they were huh, they were willing to use Joseph to get what they wanted but they never sought true reconciliation. I'm saying this because some of you are in families where you are still angry at somebody. Maybe somebody's still angry at you. And because the relationship is mutually beneficial, or maybe it's beneficial in only one direction, there may even be a codependency going on, but you have not dealt with the real problem. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Here it is. Thy father... Did command before he died, saying, Verse 17, So shall ye say unto Joseph, look at this. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And look at what look at how Joseph responds when his siblings ask him for forgiveness only because their father had died look at the last sentence the bible says and joseph wept when they spoke unto him ha watch this all joseph actually wanted all his life was the love and acceptance of his brothers why is joseph weeping here because after his father dies Joseph is made to confront the fact that indeed his brothers have never actually accepted him as a brother. Some of you may be in that situation where you are the proverbial black sheep of the family. Joseph begins to weep because they opened the old wounds of all the pain he had. And he's brought all the way back to the chains that the Ishmaelites put him in. He's brought all the way back to the first night in foreign land of Egypt where he didn't speak the language and he had to figure it out. He's brought all the way back to the first night in prison. He's brought all the way back to the the failure of Pharaoh's servant to come back and help him. He's brought back through every piece of pain he's ever experienced because he realizes after all he's been through and all he's done for his brothers, he still is not really seen as one of them. Look at verse 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said... Behold, we be thy servants. There is a recurring theme in the scripture. I want you to get this. It was seen with the prodigal son. Remember what he said? I will return to my father and I will be as one of his hired servants. The brothers say here, "I listen, just make us your servants. When guilt consumes you we're going to talk about the difference between guilt and shame tomorrow but when guilt consumes you and produces shame you are willing to try to work your way out of your mess this is the reason that righteousness young people is not by works it's by faith Because, this is the way the Bible says it, Paul says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. God is not calling you to be a slave. He's calling you to be his child. Look at what verse 19 says. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. Joseph said, you don't have anything to worry about. Vengeance isn't mine to dole out. You don't have anything to worry about. It's not me you should be worried about. And that's the problem. Some of us are so worried about what people did to us or what we did to people that we forget what we're doing to God. Look at verse 20. Genesis 50 and verse 20 says this. But as for you, look at how powerful Joseph turns this thing around. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for what? Unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day. To do what? To save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spake kindly unto them. Some of us If we had the chance to get revenge on those who did us dirty, we would take the shot. Joseph does the exact opposite. Now, I want to show you how deep this thing gets. Joseph actually realizes that every trial he went through was a part of God's plan. Your life will become far more meaningful to you when you realize that every hurt every pain, every scar and every trauma you've had, if it is uh, submitted to Christ at the foot of his cross, all of it can actually help you grow into Christ-likeness. Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And here's where I want you to get this, because many of you are going into service industries, health cares, mental health, Uh, medicine, dentistry, um, teaching, all of these different fields, your past pain literally is uh, supposed to function like a a tutor that that teaches you what other people feel so that you can be a better minister in whatever field you've chosen for God. The very pain you've been through. You know how many times we are working with um, former drug addicts and stuff in the States. And one of the things I tell them, I say, listen, the addiction you're coming out of, and God is going to establish you to gain victory over, one day it will be your job to turn around and be support to help someone else come out of it. Your family dysfunction should hopefully serve to give you two great weapons to go forward in life with. Number one, that you make a deal with the God of heaven that you do not repeat the dysfunction of the previous generation. And number two, that you are able to empathize with those who are in traumatic situations in their family. Now watch this. One of the great American heroes, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., said this about forgiveness. Joseph forgave his brothers. He didn't just forgive them in word. He forgave them emotionally. We'll talk about the difference later. He forgave them both ways. Why? We know because he didn't just forgive them. He committed to take care of their families. This is what Dr. Martin Luther King said. And he was saying this in, in the context of racist America. He said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Now, you got to remember what Dr. King went through. I have an uncle from a place called Americus, Georgia. and Uncle Lee would tell us stories about growing up in the deep south. He was so traumatized because he had seen so many black people lynched. He said there were times he would be walking through forests or fields and the bodies would still be there. And when they would lynch these black Americans, when they would hang them from these trees, the white people would actually go and get snacks. They would stand around. It was like a show. People would come from other towns. And when it was all over, they would cut pieces of the dead person's body and hand it out like souvenirs and trinkets. That's the South that he grew up in. He watched the laws of segregation. He watched as black people were hosed uh, and washed down the street by racist firemen beaten with clubs of racist police. And his response to that was that you and I, as black Americans, speaking for us in the States, must love our enemies. Pray for those who despitefully misuse us. He transformed the United States of America. She would never live up to the calling of her own constitution if it wasn't for the Christian love shown in the civil rights movement. Which brings us to the first lesson. There are five lessons tonight. The first one is, the first one is that forgiveness, somebody up in the booth help me, this thing is... The devil's trying to mess us up here. Forgiveness takes strength. And I want to quote one of the people who influenced Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is Mahatma Gandhi, who brought the British Empire to her knees without ever raising a gun or shooting a shot. He says this, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. It takes more strength to forgive than to hold on to your pain. My wife pointed this out to me. She does the deep cyber school study lessons with all the teachers' comments and everything, and she showed me these comments. Watch this. Forgive This is from the cyber school lesson, December of 2018. Forgiveness involves a conscious choice to give up feelings of resentment toward another person, and consequently, it also removes any right to seek revenge for what the other, or for what he or she has done. Forgiveness does not require you to be the guilty party or imply that the other person deserves forgiveness. Rather, forgiveness roots out anger and bitterness from our own lives, helps heal wounds, and builds a basis for restoring relationships. She says, or the lesson says, Forgiveness does not mean excusing wrong behavior or removing any consequences that might result from the behavior. Look at this true forgiveness recognizes the seriousness of the offense but chooses a path of healing did y'all get that God forgave humans even though we were undeserving of his forgiveness but divine forgiveness did not undermine the seriousness of sin or remove all the consequences of sin indeed Jesus took the ultimate consequence of sin suffering the death on our behalf I was sharing this with a patient once talking to them and I'm gonna show you why I share this with patients I have learned that some folk won't get better because they have not forgiven they've not gotten over their trauma but we'll show you more in a second and I was talking to this young lady and I said listen um, you know you seem very angry about something what is going on and she began to recount to me that she had been molested when she was younger and that the person who did it was a family member And she was still very angry, not just at the person who had molested her, but she was angry because some of the rest of the family had stepped in to defend this individual. And she was angry and hurt. She had not recovered from the pain. She was furious at her family. She was internalizing it, and it was destroying her. And I said, you're going to have to forgive not just the person who did this to you, not just the people who tried to push past it. You're going to have to forgive them, and you're also going to have to forgive yourself. She wept in my office that day because she thought that if she forgave the person, it meant that she thought he had done nothing wrong. And I had to submit to her that the, the opposite is true. I'm going to show you as we go through this message that as long as you hold on To what folk have done you, it keeps you in a place where you cannot grow. Here's what the Spirit of Prophecy says. True heroes, the real greatness and nobility of the man is measured by the power of the feelings that he subdues, not by the power of the feelings that subdue him or her. The strongest man or woman is he who, while sensitive to abuse, will yet restrain passion and forgive his enemies. Such men or women are true heroes. Listen, tonight we're asking a lot of you because I know how hard it is to forgive. I know how difficult it is when you've been done wrong to say, listen, I forgive what this person has done. Matthew 18 and verse 21 says this. Then came Peter to him. And said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto these until seven times, but until 70 times seven. You know why that's so deep? Because in the Jewish mind, the number of times you had to forgive was only three. Peter comes in and he says seven because Peter's trying to one up the culture and say, look, I'll forgive more than two times that. Jesus makes the point by saying 70 times 7 that actually there is no limit to how much you are required to forgive. This is one of the things that separates Christianity from almost every other religion in the world. The requirement around forgiveness. Now watch this. uh, Sorry, the SDA Bible Commentary on Matthew 18 says this. Forgiveness on the part either of God or of man is much more than a judicial act. It is a restoration of peace where there had been conflict. But forgiveness is even more than that. It includes the effort. Watch this, young people. It includes the effort to restore the erring brother himself. Wow. Wow. True forgiveness sends you back to your father who abandoned you. True forgiveness sends you back to your father who never sent you a Christmas card or a birthday card. True forgiveness sends you back to the father who never called you once in your life. And I am describing my own father. True forgiveness means that when he is lying on his deathbed, you are there to comfort him. True forgiveness says that no matter what they've done, I'm willing to try and restore them to Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, this life is temporary. I am a, I am a citizen of the world and the kingdom that will last forever. So The second thing, second principle, the reason this is important is because forgiveness is a part of the health message. A lot of people don't know this. Forgiveness is good for your health. It helps with your relationships. It improves your mental health. I'm going to show you some studies that show you will never have proper mental health if you don't forgive. Less anxiety and stress and hostility. It lowers your blood pressure because it does all those other things. Fewer symptoms of depression. A stronger immune system. Improved heart health. Improved self, I don't like the word self-esteem, so I'm going to say it this way. Improved self-worth. Now watch this. I'm going to give you some science. As a medical doctor, I like to quote these journal articles. Here's one. In a new study in the Journal of Health Psychology, researchers analyzed the mental and physical health of 148 young adults. As one might expect, a correlation was found between high stress levels and more health problems. But the study also indicated that in cases where people showed forgiveness of both themselves and others, the connection, watch this, the connection between stress and mental illness practically disappeared. Did you see that? Forgiveness is better, it it works better than all the antidepressants we can prescribe. Watch this. Another study. A study published in April 2016, Journal of Annals of Behavioral Medicine, including more than 330 people between 16 and 79 years of age. The researchers found that regardless of age, people who are able to forgive experienced a decrease in their perception of their own stress, and this decrease led to a decrease in psychological stress. If you don't forgive, you'll hold on to stress and be destroyed from the inside out watch this being hurt and disappointed carries a burden and when that happens you go into fight-or-flight state I want you to get this fight-or-flight is designed for when a dog is chasing you If the dog is chasing you, God designed you, that you turn on cortisol, you release that hormone, you release adrenaline, you turn on that release. All of these things happen. Your pupils dilate, your respiration increases, your blood vessels dilate, your heart rate increases, blood is shunted from your digestive tract, sent to your big muscles so that you can run as far as you can, see everything around you. All your body changes just like this. This is the switch from allostasis uh, from homeostasis to allostasis. But if you stay in that state long, you switch from allostasis to allostatic load. Which means you are in a constant state of fight or flight. Which means your blood pressure is always high. Your heart rate is always high. Your cortisol level always high. Which increases inflammation, increases risk of stroke. I could go on and on and on. You are not designed to stay in fight or flight. And here's what happens. If the devil convinces you not to forgive the person who harmed you, it's as if you are spend the rest of your life being chased by a dog, except you're not physically running. In a meta-analysis published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, Researchers found that anger and hostility are linked to an increased risk of heart disease, as well as worse outcomes for people who already have it. Some people ask me, so why this person was vegetarian or vegan? They died early. Ask me how much stress they had. Ask me who they didn't forgive. Because a lot of times that's what actually caused the disease, and you can't eat your way out of that. A study published in the Journal of Behavioral Medicine examined forgiveness as a predictor of mortality and found statistically significant relationship. Forgiving others is associated with a decreased risk for all-cause mortality, the study authors noted. Let me show you how deep this thing gets. Rumination and your health. Now look at this. This is speaking about black women in the United States of America. So you can extrapolate what you want from it, but let me show you what it says. According to a study that included more than 1,800 black adults, published in October 2019 in the Journal of the American Heart Association, black women were more likely than black men to experience more stressful life events and engage in rumination, which causes a sustained increase in hypertension over the 13 years the individuals were followed for the study. Watch this. This is what these secular scientists say. When people are able to forgive... They still ruminate to some degree but they are able to let go of a lot of that bitterness and anger says Worthington. Forgiveness doesn't eliminate rumination but it can reduce the toxicity of it. What is rumination? When I did addiction medicine they talked about the fact that many people do drugs because they're playing tapes in their mind. And what that means is they're reliving over and over painful traumatic events. Every time they smoke a joint, every time they do cocaine, every drink of alcohol they get is actually self-medication. So what they teach is that there's a, a loop, a, a tape playing in your mind that you've got to turn off, that you've got to destroy. Rumination is the process of sitting and thinking over and over again of all the hurt you've received, all the pain you've gotten, all that's gone wrong, all the cases of prejudice for a lot of these black American women that they've experienced. Rumination makes it play over and over and over again. And as they ruminate on it, it destroys them. You see, to not forgive is stressful and it's damaging. When we do not forgive, we internalize a threat and relive trauma. The occurrence is allowed to reside in us and repeatedly damage us, triggering constantly a system that is designed only for short-term threats. When you don't forgive, you live in the pain of your past. So there are two types of forgiveness I'll I'll hit these two quick two types of forgiveness and most people only make it to the first one which is decisional forgiveness you say you know I forgive that person I forgive them and you it's like forgiving a debt you're willing to discharge the debt but if you're really going to be healed you have to do the decisional forgiveness and you must also do emotional forgiveness what does that mean that means you have got to on the inside disconnect yourself from the pain and the anger connected to that person. Emotionally, you have to change. And let me submit to you, because the psychological sciences don't realize it, that is something that only happens with the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the third lesson. Forgiveness is key to experiencing God's love. If you never forgive the person who hurt you, you'll never know the fullness of the love of God Matthew 6:12 says this and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors for if ye forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you did you get that but if you forgive not men their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses the amplified bi- version of the Bible says it this way look at what they write in and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors letting go of both the wrong and the resentment For if you forgive others their trespasses, and look at what they put in brackets, their reckless and willful sins, your father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, and look at what they put in brackets here, nurturing your hurt and anger with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God, then your father will not forgive your trespasses. Spiritually, when you don't forgive the person who hurt you, becomes an idol, something you always go back to. You use it as an excuse for your current sin. If that person didn't do that to me, I wouldn't behave this way. If they hadn't touched me that way, I wouldn't be promiscuous now. If you don't heal from what hurt you then, you'll bleed on the person with you now. Look how powerful forgiveness is. Same principle. Forgiveness is key to experiencing God's love. Luke seven forty-seven. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, look at this but. Look at what Jesus says. But to whom little is forgiven, the same does what? Loveth little. You cannot experience God's forgiveness unless you forgive others. And unless you have been forgiven, you'll never experience God's love. Some of us are blocking the experience of feeling and knowing God's love because all of our emotional energy is pointing back to what daddy did. Pointing back to what our mother did or our siblings did or our ex-husband did or our ex-wife did or that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend did. We're pointing back to what someone did and it disrupts our relationship with God. Ellen White says it like this, Christ Object Lesson, page 251, she says this, We are not forgiven because we forgive, but as we forgive, the ground of all forgiveness is found in the unmerited love of God. But by our attitude toward others, we show whether we have made that love our own. Wherefore, Christ says, with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. One of the great stories, and I won't read all of the verses here, about forgiveness is about the man who went to the king and owed the man the equivalent of millions of U.S. dollars. He went to the king and and the king said, listen, we're going to sell your wife, we're going to sell your kids, we're going to sell everything you have until payment is made and put you in prison. The man falls down, worships the king, begs him, Lord, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything back. The Lord was moved with compassion, the story tells us, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant, watch this young people, the same servant, verse 28, went out and found out one of, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence. So this man owed the king millions of dollars and he found a man that owed him like $50. That's literally the math. And he, and he, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat And said pay me what you owe his fellow servant fell down at his feet just like he had fallen down at the king's feet have patience with me and I will pay you all and he would not but he cast him in prison and said he must pay the debt look at verse 31 when his fellow servants saw what was done they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord what was done then the Lord after he had called him said unto him you wicked servant i forgave you all that debt because you desired me should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant as i had compassion on you verse 34 and his lord was wroth; he was angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him look at this look at what jesus says this is key And to understand how important it is to forgive the people who have done you wrong. Look at verse 35 of Matthew 18. It says this. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Did you get that? Look at what the spirit of prophecy says on this. I know it's going to take a little time. Stay with me on this. This is one of the most important life lessons you can get. How many, Christ Object Lesson, page 247, how many are today manifesting the same spirit? When the debtor pleaded with his Lord for mercy, he had no true sense of the greatness of his debt. He did not realize the helplessness. uh, He did not realize his helplessness. He hoped to deliver himself. Have patience with me, he said, and I will pay you all. So there are many who hope by their own works to merit God's favor. They do not realize their helplessness. They do not accept the grace of God as a free gift, but are trying to build themselves up in self-righteousness. I hope y'all get where we're going now. If you don't forgive other people, and you think somehow you can work off the debt you owe God, you will become self-righteous. And God is not into self-righteousness. Watch this. He says, their own hearts are not broke. She says, their own hearts are not broken and humbled on account of sin and they are exacting and unforgiving toward others. Their own sins against God compared with their brother's sins against them are as 10,000 talents to 100 pence, nearly 1 million to 1. Yet they dare to be unforgiving. Now here is the result, young people. Look at this. So likewise, said Jesus, shall my heavenly father do also unto you If you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses he who refuses to forgive watch this he who refuses to forgive is thereby casting away his own hope of pardon somebody did you something wrong somebody hurt you you have a right to be upset In fact, according to the laws of man, you have a right to never speak to that person again. You have a right to have vitriol and hatred towards that individual. But in the eyes of God, whatever someone has done to you pales in comparison to what you have done to God. And that's tough. You're talking about molestation, a physical abuse. That's tough when you're talking about a wife who's been cheated on by her husband. It allows you to realize your position, your state as a sinner, that you must forgive others because the wrong you have done an innocent Christ outweighs whatever man is doing on earth. Watch this. The number, the fourth thing you must request and confess. It's not just enough to forgive those, you've got to actually go to those you've hurt and ask for forgiveness. James 5:16 says, "Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much." One of Christ's last commands to his disciples was, "Love one another as I have loved you." John 14:34. Do we obey this command? Are we indulging in sharp unChristlike traits of character? He says, If we have in any way grieved—look at this, young people. If we have in any way grieved or wounded others, it is our duty to confess our fault and seek for reconciliation. This is an essential preparation that we may come before God in faith to ask his blessing. Let me tell you something. If you do not go to others and confess that you did them wrong— Your prayers will bounce off the ceiling. They won't get through. And so it's easy to be the victim, but it's difficult for some people to actually look in the mirror and say, you know what? I did that person wrong. I need to go back and ask for forgiveness. But the fifth and the last principle is this one. You've got to learn to forgive yourself. You've got to learn to forgive yourself. Philippians 3 and 13 says it like this. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. And look at what Paul says he does. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I want to submit to you tonight that you should not allow the tapes of your past to continue to play in your mind. Christian, be careful Joking and and, and emphasizing how, how terribly you used to live. Be careful that your testimony does not become a stumbling block where you relish around in the fact of what you used to do. You must forget those things that are behind. Watch this. Paul says, I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus when you realize that Jesus takes your sin casts it into the sea of forgetfulness the Bible says he remembers your sin no more if God forgets your sin why do you keep replaying it once you stop living in your past looking at your past worrying about your past Threatened by your past. Once you do that, you can press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. But your past hurts your past. Shame your past. Failures will act as weights on your body and hold you back from moving towards God. You've got to forgive yourself. Now, you can't forgive yourself in a salvific way. But you've got to move past the dirt you've done and accept what God has done for you. In order to forgive yourself, you must request and accept God's forgiveness. And here's where it gets comes full circle to, to last week Friday night. This is one of the most important things you will do in the prophetic stream. You must accept the forgiveness that God is offering you right now. And you have to believe through faith in Christ Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, that you are actually forgiven. Watch this. This is what Testimony for the Church, Volume Five says. It says this: Their only hope is in the mercy of God. Their only defense will be a, will be prayer. This is the beginning of the remnant in the last days. As Joshua was pleading before the angel, so the remnant church, with brokenness of heart and earnest faith, will plead for pardon and deliverance through Jesus, their advocate. They are fully conscious of their sinfulness of their lives. They see their weakness and unworthiness, and as they look upon themselves, they are ready to despair. Look at what Satan does. Young people, look at this. The tempter stands by to accuse them as he stood by to resist Joshua. He points to their filthy garments, their defective characters. He presents their weakness and folly, their sins of ingratitude, their unlikeness to Christ, which has dishonored their Redeemer. He endeavors to affright the soul with the thought. Look at this. He endeavors to affright the soul with the thought that their case is hopeless that the stain of their defilement will never be washed away. The work of the devil is to convince you that you have sinned so terribly that God will never accept you. This is an end time issue. Yet most people do not include this in Revelation seminars. Here's why it's so important. She continues, says this, satan hopes to so destroy their faith that they will yield to his temptations turn from their allegiance to god and look at this and receive the mark of the beast if you do not accept the forgiveness that comes at the at the cross of calvary If you are not washed in the blood of the lamb, if you don't accept that when Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven, literally it will leave you in a place where Satan can continue to tempt you and he will lead you into a mindset where you receive the mark of the beast. Some folks are so worried about what, that the fact that the mark of the beast will one day be a law passed about Sunday, and you don't realize, in order for Satan to get you to a place where you will go along with that law, he has to make you feel your case is already hopeless. Look at this. She says it again. I'm going to reiterate the point from another place. Prophets and Kings, page 589. Satan has an accurate knowledge of the sins that he has tempted God's people to commit, And he urges his accusations against them, declaring that by their sins they have forfeited divine protection and claiming that he has the right to destroy them. He pronounces them just as deserving as himself of exclusion from the favor of God. This is what Satan says about us. Are these, he says, the people who are to take my place in heaven and the place of the angels who united with me? He says... They profess to obey the law of God, but but have they kept its precepts? Have they not been lovers of self more than lovers of God? Have they not placed their own interests above his service? Have they not loved the things of the world? Look at the sins that have marked their lives. Behold their selfishness, their malice, their hatred of one another. Will God banish me and my angels from his presence and yet reward those who have been guilty of the same sins? Let me tell you something, young people. There are nights, and it's, it, you know, since my, since, since my wife and I have really begun to have a, a very powerful and deep family worship time in the home, this has eased up. But there were many nights when I would wake up out of my sleep, and it was as if that devil was taking me back to the sins of my past. And he would take me back. In the middle of the night, I would wake up, and I would be worried Lord am I forgiven for that Lord how could I have done that he would leave me there and I would have to wrestle all night with the fact that I did some of the dirt that I've done in my life Satan continues look at where Satan takes it he says thou canst not do this O lord in justice this is the devil talking justice demands that sentence be pronounced against them the devil says listen The students at Northern Caribbean University have been listening to the wrong kind of music. Some of them are sneaking into the dark places of this campus and fooling around doing things that ought not be done. Some of them are living lives that are abomination. Some of them have come out of some dark stuff. Satan says, listen, I don't know how you could ever accept the young people at Northern Caribbean University. I don't know how you could accept the, the people who call themselves Christians on the island of Jamaica. I don't know how you could do it. Spirit of prophecy goes on to say this, however, but while the followers of Christ have sinned, they have not gotten themselves up to be controlled, not given themselves up to be controlled by the satanic agencies. They have repented of their sins and have sought the Lord in humility and contrition uh, and the divine advocate pleads in their behalf. Watch this. He, look at, what, look at what she says about our Jesus. He who has been most abused by their ingratitude. He who, kn- who knows their sin and their pe- penitence declares. Look at what she says, Jesus says. The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. I gave my life for these souls. They are graven upon the palms of my hands. They may have imperfections of character. They may have failings failed in their endeavors but they have repented and i have forgiven and accepted them one of the most incredible books you can read is a book called beware of angels i don't know if y'all heard of it or if they have it at the abc bookstore here it is written by roger minot the the, the, the former demon worshiper who came out of demon worship and became a seven-day adventist it, back in the 1940s and 50s in montreal canada he writes in this book about a group who uh, began to be visited by angels, but in fact, it weren't really angels, they were demons. It's a true story, it happened in the n- northwest section of the United States, and they would have worship service. They broke away from the Adventist church, they had worship service, and these demons would come in the form of bright angels and worship with them, and the demons would tell them, go into Walmart or go into Target, the big, stores in America, and steal, and they would walk out with big TVs and baskets full of stuff and not pay for it, and the demons would shield them so that when they stole, they would just walk out and security wouldn't do anything. The demons told them, you got to read the book, but the demons told them that I want you to steal in preparation for the time of trouble. And so they were stealing and getting away with it finally the demon said i want you to take this farm i think it was a farm they wanted them to take over and the demon said go ahead and take over the farm and when they went to take over the farm they wound up shooting and killing two or three people i don't remember the exact number and of course now when they committed murder the protection of the demons was withdrawn and the police caught them and they were put in prison for murder their old 7 day adventist pastor was willing to forgive them for what they'd done for what they'd done to the church, for how they'd maligned him, all the stuff they're going on. And he went into the prison and began to have Bible study with them again. And these are these were women. He had Bible study with them again. And they were baptized all over again into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Where the story gets deep is here, young people. True story. Roger Brunot says that when he went to the prison to visit them to get their story for the book, he asked them. Do the demons at any time still bother you? Is there anything or any time when the demons still have power to come and mess with you? And you know what they said? One of the women responded and said, Any time I question whether or not God has forgiven me, the demons return. Let me tell you something, young people. You're going to have to forgive some folk. It's good for you. I know that there are family members who treated you terribly, neighbors, classmates. You may be mad at some administrator in the school. Let me warn you that if you don't forgive them, you're in trouble. In fact, the last slide says this. Forgive and be made free. It says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To make this plain, I'll come full circuit. I told you, it started with the story of the death of a father. Is going to end with one. Some of you know that my, I have a half-brother named Courtney Walsh. I didn't grow up knowing Courtney. I don't know anything about cricket. In fact, when he visits me, he's just a regular person. Because I, I watch basketball and football in America. But our father was a pretty exacting Terrible man. Courtney is about six or seven months difference in age from my full brother, Tony. So he had two women pregnant, my father, at the same time. I told you earlier in the week that when I was two years old, my father left my mother and married her second cousin. Broke my mother's heart and left her with three boys to raise by herself. I remember in, when I played Pop Warner football American football, as a little boy, my brother and I would have to ride our bicycles up to the football field by ourselves. Every other little boy, it seemed like, had a man on the sidelines coaching them and encouraging them. I hadn't seen my father since I was two years old. He ran off with this other woman, went to New York, and then moved to Florida. We stayed in Connecticut. There was no way I saw him. When holiday came, he didn't call. When birthday came, he didn't call. He never sent a gift. Anything my mother might have ever gotten from him, she had to pull from him like pulling teeth from a shark. The irony of this man, the gall of this man, when I was graduating from medical school, All of a sudden he wanted to own me he wanted credit my mother was so mad watch this but when I turned, when we moved to Miami and I was around 16 and I got a car started to drive up to the north end of Miami to visit him he worked on the car with me I didn't hold anything against him and I think the reason I didn't hold anything against him was I was only two when he left and I didn't know better and I wanted a father so bad But I quickly found that he was not trustworthy and so we drifted back apart, especially when I went to college. After all he had done to my mother and to myself and my brothers and not just my full brothers, my half brothers, you know, he owned Courtney only after Courtney was famous. Watch this. When it came time for him to die, it was my younger full brother, David, who went and visited him in a hospital. I flew from Los Angeles couple times and visited with him and here's what happened young people I began to try and introduce my father to the Jesus who saved me while he was dying in Jackson Memorial Hospital one of the visits I was able to share the Lord with him and he began to tell me that he wanted to learn and and, and believe in Jesus this cold-hearted man my mother said if she was ever going to write a book about him the title of the book would have been Iron Man when he died some of our siblings wouldn't even show up to the funeral they hated him so bad. They were about probably 13 kids he had. One of them went into the rostrum in the pulpit in the church and decried the man. I'd never heard anybody get a, give a dead man a tongue lashing like that right in a funeral service. I had to deliver the message at that funeral. And I delivered a message of forgiveness. And let me tell you something. One of the reasons I can be a Christian today is because I'm not holding on to what he did to me then. Instead, my hope for my father is this, that one day I would see him in glory. I want you to become the kind of Christian that even the person who scarred you, you are willing to work to help them get into eternity, to be saved into God's kingdom. Now, somebody tonight has been traumatized. You've been scarred. And it's not as easy as this sermon. It's not just a one and done. It's not like what you went through is going to go away because you heard a word. But I want you tonight, I'm, the ask I have tonight is that you begin the process of submitting your anger, submitting your pain to Jesus Christ. To say, Father in heaven, I have been abused, molested, beaten, mistreated, neglected, forgotten, called names, bullied but Lord tonight I turn it all over to you that you would cut the cord that Satan wants me to stay attached to that would hold me to the pain of my past tonight so that you do not receive the mark of the beast forgive those who hurt you and accept the fact that God has forgiven you I don't care how bad your life was you did not and have not out God's ability to save you. As my wife sings, especially if you're someone who needs help, you want prayer. And I'm going to ask the pastors to join me up front. You want prayer to ask God to give you the strength to let go of the hurt and the pain, to forgive those who might have done you wrong. Tonight's the night to let go of it. Join us down front, and we'll pray over you. Young people, what I want you to do is to not look at the pain, not ruminate on who did you wrong or what they did. I want you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. There's a peace that comes with Christ, no matter how horribly you've been treated. There's a peace that comes with knowing Jesus as your savior. You understand that yes, this world is wicked and people may have harmed you, but Jesus, The one who spoke the world into existence wants your good. Submit your life to him. I'm going to ask our pastor to pray over everyone that's come down front and over this issue. This is a tough issue. I didn't hear a lot of amens, but that's all right. Because I can tell you, I've lived through the pain of the neglect that my father did. It's a painful, hard thing to live through. and Some of you have been through much worse than what I've been through. There are wives in here who are cheated on by their husbands and husbands who have been abandoned by their wives. All kinds of things have happened. But if you don't let go of it, it will consume you. Take away your mental health and block your ability to experience the love of God. Tonight is the night you say, Lord, I'm going to be one who forgives. And I'm going to ask for forgiveness where it's appropriate.
1: Hallelujah, pray. our god and our father in whose presence we find the fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore we thank you this sabbath evening for the clear potent word which has come to us speaking to our needs And helping us to realize that we cannot we cannot drink that poison and expect that those who have hurt us will die so today oh God we ask for that forgiveness because it is a gift I remember too that It was only when my father was dying in my hand on the 22nd day of April 2007 that he looked on me and he said, From the day you were born until now, I have been saying to you that you don't know what you're doing. I'm confessing that of all my children, you are the one who really knows what you're doing. And that peace came over me because it was difficult even to be his caregiver when he did not care for me and thank God for that gift that has been given so that I do not have to have it in my heart even against him or against anyone give to these young people who are hurting even now that gift May they claim it tonight. May they receive it tonight. And may they go free from the burden of this guilt. For there is power. Wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. We ask that you will cover them. And you will help them that they will let go. And let God. Because when God is in control... It brings peace, which will ultimately lead to paradise. Thank you for the ministry of Dr. and Sister Walsh. Thank you for this message tonight, and thank you for those you have set free so that they will worship thee. That bondage has been gone, and so deliverance is flowing tonight. Thank you for hearing us in this immediate space. Thank you for answering our prayers for the over 1,600 purses online. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.